0: Welcome to the Knife Junkie Podcast, your weekly dose of knife news and information about knives and knife collecting. Here's your host, Bob the Knife Junkie DeMarco.
1: Welcome to the Knife Junkie Podcast. I'm Bob DeMarco. On this edition of the show, I'm speaking with Chris Jones of Steel Dog Knives. I had the chance to meet Chris and thoroughly pour over his impeccable pieces at the Texas Custom Knife Show in November. Though he had a variety of really cool outdoor and EDC fix blades on offer, his kitchen knives were, to me, the most compelling, featuring clean profiles, great cutting geometry, and dazzling handles. He also had one that was uh, traditional Japanese, and it was light as a feather. He makes some really unique graphically themed knives as well. We'll meet Chris, we'll find out about Steel Dog Knives and uh, what he has in store. Uh, but first, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Download us where you can listen to podcasts. And if you have any uh, interest or capacity, help us on Patreon. Uh, go over there to theknifejunkie.com slash Patreon and see what you get out of the deal. Again, uh, that address is theknifejunkie.com slash Patreon.
0: Visit us online, thenifejunkie.com. If you search Google for the best knife podcast, the answer is The Knife Junkie Podcast.
1: Chris, welcome to the Knife Junkie Podcast, sir. Good to have you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, your booth at the Texas Custom Knife Show was one uh, I came back to numerous times, and uh, I had uh, I had a great time talking to you about the knives, and and you told me about some of your um, you know some of your background, and it's very interesting uh, to me. Yeah, your knives, as I mentioned up front, um, you seem to be specializing right now. In these uh, gorgeous kitchen knives, uh, but uh, tell me about Steel Dog knives to begin with. How did you get into knives, and how did you start actually making them?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting story. I um, it's, it's a unique one that I don't know that anybody else has. Um, about six years ago, I had um, an emergency appendectomy. I had to go in. I'd had a, some outpatient procedure a week or two before. I had an emergency appendectomy. Go into the hospital um have the surgery had some complications from the surgery and ended up in the hospital for five days and as i'm laying there in my hospital bed i don't want to be on my ipad i don't want to be on my phone i just i just don't watch the tv that's there um in the actual uh, hospital room and you know you got the little speaker next to you i'll stumble upon a and fire marathon and i was like this is I, i'm hooked right like this is fascinating, and it helped get me through um, that time that I was in the hospital. And then uh, when I got home, I continued to watch it and came fascinated by the show. And then go down some rabbit holes of YouTube and told myself, you know, when I get healthy again, like I, I want to try this. And um, so I did, and, and I wasn't as fascinated with the, um, honestly, with with swinging a hammer right in an anvil. I mean, that that part is cool. I do enjoy doing that sometimes. Um, but it was, um, just the being able to make something right. Um, I used to do some woodworking and really enjoyed it. And so getting into this and and getting into the knives. And so I made my first two knives, um, with a hand filing jig. And so I, um, I always tell people like make a hand filing jig and make, don't make one knife, make two, because anybody can make one knife with a hand filing jig of three to six hours per side filing these down and but if if you make two and you still enjoy it then go invest in some equipment so i started to do that started making some some knives and um um one day my wife asked me um to make a kitchen knife and i never made a kitchen knife i'm not a big hunter um i do camp i do backpack so i have some um, um use of with knives from that but uh, i grew up in a kitchen my dad managed restaurants and so mm. i um I was like, well, I can do this, and and made my first kitchen knife, and it's absolutely terrible. Um, I didn't understand. I approached it the same way that I would approach um, a camp knife, right, um, or an EDC, and it, it really is different. Um, having to focus on the, the geometry, and and so um, I was like, man, I, there's no way I'm ever going to get somebody to buy a knife when they can go down to Walmart and buy a fifteen dollar cheap knife that that worked better, and it was because of the geometry. And so I kind of poured myself into it, and. Um, started doing some, some research and, and, you know, watching different makers, um, people like Mareko Malmasi, um, uh, Salem Straub, Don Wynn, um, guys that make just beautiful chef knives and, and learning anything I could, um, from their YouTube channels, from their Instagram. And, um, just kind of went from there and, and stayed with it. And once I got a couple that worked, um, I was like, this is definitely the way I want to go. So. I still do the occasional camp knife. Um, I mean, I'm working on a, a batch of four um, here. These are kind of cool. This is for a former coworker of mine. Um, he's got some uh, antique cherry that his grandfather harvested 70 years ago. That's been oh man lying in a in a yeah. uh, barn for for years, and you know it, it has some really cool figure to it. That's so cool. I'm keeping it nice and matte. I told him I'm going to make a make him a knife that looks like he could have bought it out of a Sears catalog. Right back when his grandfather, park, you know, so yeah. back in the day, it's got brass, uh, brass pins on it. We're going to go with an old school looking, uh, leather sheath. And, um, so I still do some of that. I still do some EDCs, but I really, really do love, um, the kitchen knives. Um, and it's, it's kind of become, uh, my thing and, um, I won a couple of awards and, um, put my knives in the hands of professional chefs and, and they really enjoy it and they give me good feedback and, so, yeah, that's just the way that, uh, the direction I've taken over the last probably two, two and a half years.
1: All right. I, I want to follow the path, uh, to get there, but I want to go back to the hospital.
2: Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I can ramble on. So my, you know, no, I, no. I, uh, as, as long as I start at the beginning, my wife will tell me I sometimes start in the middle of a story. So, um, but yeah, uh, definitely we can go back to the hospital. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it, to me, it's it's interesting because uh, forged in fire does not have to be. Uh, there's a there's a certain kind of show. It's the reality competition creative show. Uh, there are a lot mm-hmm. of uh, cooking shows like that, uh, fashion shows. I like them all. Uh, you know, I haven't seen them all, but you put me in front of any one of them, I'm gonna like it. And that's kind of uh, people like me who don't love knives see forged in fire and it and and it ignites something. Uh, sorry for the pun. Uh, what was it lying in that hospital bed that uh, that awakened this interest in you um, you said you liked building stuff but you know uh, if you had turned down Orange City choppers or Orange County choppers would you be building bikes right now maybe no. maybe not no
2: because no because I watched Orange County Choppers and I didn't go build bikes um, I love watching um, uh, you know, the 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 different car shows, you know, the ones that some of the ones that Netflix have, like uh, right, you know, Rust to Riches and, and stuff like that. Rust Valley Restorers. I love watching those, but I don't restore cars. Um, but I, I grew up kind of watching the old, um, you know, this old house, Norm Abram, the woodworking stuff, and I always really enjoyed that. And I did a lot of woodworking and, and built a lot of furniture. Our current kitchen table and chairs is something that I built. But it was just something about. The knives, I really don't know that I can, um, you know, pinpoint. I mean, I, I think a lot of us are always fascinated by sharp things, right? Um, and, you know, it's, it's, um, there, there's something about, you know, being able to use a, a, a great knife. And, but I, I, think the one thing that, that I really liked was it was something that was, it was obtainable. It was realistic, right? I mean, yes, I had to invest in equipment over the years, right? I mean, I'm surrounded here by, um, equipment. That I've purchased, but in the beginning I could do it relatively small and I could express my creative side right with the with the handles specifically um i i like to to you know pick things and 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 pick colors maybe that are that are bold and still do some of the traditional but I, I like to do different things with with handles and I've got some uh, great suppliers that uh, provide me with some cool stuff and we've collaborated on a number of things but to me, the handle is the character of the knife, right? I want something that has that character, and I like to talk to folks about making the knife special to them, right? And and having that, um, I recently posted um, this week a um, a chef knife that I was uh, I was honored to have uh, given given the opportunity to make. Um, someone approached me and they wanted to make a knife to honor the memory of their daughter. Who passed away, um, unexpectedly a couple of years ago. And so as I'm going back and forth and asking them some questions about, well, what was it her favorite thing to do? Or, or what was, um, what, what was something special to her? The, the mom mentioned that her favorite color was electric turquoise. Hmm. And I thought to myself, okay, electric turquoise, I can work with that. And so I made, um, this knife. I'll show it her here. Uh, this chef knife. It's for a, um, it's for, um, her daughter's partner. Um, who is a chef, um, in Denver, I believe. And so it's, I went with high carbon, did a, um, um, a stonewash finish, but worked with, um, Sarah, uh, from, um, oh yeah, Swaikowski Scales, um, and, um, or Scales by Sarah, depends upon which uh, platform she's on. And we made some, uh, this is from, uh, Dank Blank, So, um, Jordan Banks and, um, um it's a resin. And so it's, it's really cool. It's got that turquoise. It's got something that's special to them. And that's what I love uh, about it. So to go back and answer your question, I, I think what, what really was is I, I could create something unique and I could create something where I could put my personality and my, um, style and my creativity into it and do it, you know, reasonably. Uh,
1: it's interesting because, uh, woodworking, uh, you're, you're also making something in something that is Uh, incredibly useful um incredibly uh uh uh, long lasting and and um you know you said it was a kitchen table and chairs that a family sits around that's going to be a durable a durable good but something about knives in uh being a tool that you can use to do other things make other tools uh and do all sorts of you know feed yourself basically uh and then the portability of it and how many more you can make and actually sell and move and, you know, to go to a furniture show. And, and I'm sure this has very little or nothing to do with the calculus and why, why you got obsessed with knives. But it's interesting to think about a woodworker slash knife maker. One thing you can make a bunch of and then take them to a show and sell them. Another thing is, is big, hard to move. Um, uh, I don't know. Si- similar process.
2: Yeah, it's not things that I, I, you know, did in the beginning, or that I thought of in the beginning. Of you know, oh, well, let's do this because you know they are smaller, easier to move. You know, I could probably sell them faster. Like to me, when I first started making, it wasn't about selling. Um, you know, I, I probably gave away every knife that I made for close to the first year. Um, one of my um, um my, my best friend Adam, who's at the the, the show, he's al- at almost every show um, that I'm at. He carries one of the first knives that I ever actually made off of a commission. And I, I ask him not to show anybody anymore because it was uh, early days and it's pretty rough, but, um, he loves it. Um, he cherishes that and, um, keeps it in his truck with him. And so th- I think that's the key word though is I, I, I love being able to build something that people will cherish, right? I want something that people want to show off. Um, and when you look at, you know, like you said, you, with knives, you can use it to make other things. And with chef knives, you're making meals, you're making food. And what is centered around food, it's, it's typically is bringing family together, right? And family is important to me. And I remember, you know, thinking back, I thought about this, you know, um, probably a couple years ago. My, my grandmother who passed away, um... A few years, or, uh, probably about uh, five, six years back, she, uh, before I started making knives, um, we used to always get together at her house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, um, she would make meals. And I remember she used what now, I, it was like probably the worst knife. You know, there's okay. these old broken down knives. She came from a time where she went through the depression. And so she just used yeah. a knife for years that was dull and chipped and the handle wasn't great. And, you know, I, I wish I could have given her something that, that, that she could have. Um, cherished and, and used. But um, I think, yeah, that it's the beauty of you use chef knives to make food and make meals, and meals bring families and friends together. And so uh, I think that's probably why I gravitated towards it.
1: So uh, let me ask you this as a knife maker who um, who makes uh, really beautiful kitchen knives for that purpose, that purpose of feeding families, and that, that sort of it's a sacred purpose, really. Uh but I would argue that most knives fulfill that role in some way or another, but especially uh kitchen knives. Are you conflicted knowing or, or or with the with the possibility that people buy your knives and they're so nice that they don't use them? Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I I know what you mean. Um I, I think with um I think with, with hunting knives, camp knives, stuff like that. Um, you know, art pieces, art knives that people make, I think there's more of a tendency for that. Um, I think with kitchen knives, and um, I would like to think that my customers use them. Um, I get a lot of feedback from them that they, you know, how much, how great it is, how, how sharp it is, how much they love to use it. Um, and so that leads me to believe that most of the things that I'm making, people are using. Um, I have made some that I know for a fact that you know they've never been used and they probably won't be used, um, but maybe they'll get handed down someday and somebody will use them. Um, but um, yeah, it's I, I want folks to to, to use my knives. I, I love looking back on, you know, when somebody brings me a knife and um, that I've made, and I always tell people that you know I'll resharpen any knife that I make for free for the life of me or the life of the knife, and um, you know it's they send it back to me and, and I'll clean it up a little bit. Um, I'll, i clean up the handle. I'll resharpen, give it a little spa day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to send it back to them. Um, and so I tell them, I was like, don't worry about it. If you, if you do something, if you accidentally drop it and you break uh, the tip off, your eight inch chef knife will become a seven and a half inch. <laughs> chef I, Cause you send yeah. it back to me and I'll, I'll reprofile it. I'll fix it. So I, it's, it's, I, I want people to use it. Right. Um, and, um, So yeah, I I hope they are using it, but I understand, you know, some of these knives can get kind of pricey. So, you know, some people may want to, uh, to show them off, but if they're being displayed and they're still showing people off and people are private and they still cherish it in their own way. Yeah. That's okay. Right. What I would hate would be to make a knife and have it just live in a drawer and nobody ever sees it.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly, I I am a collector. I have way more knives than I will ever use. Uh, but, that's that's part of my pride of ownership is showing them off and, and that's part of like why I have a show and all that kind of stuff because uh, I get to show them off sometime. But the process of making a knife, first, all, I want to f- find out about your process of making a knife and how it changed once you got to kitchen knives. But before I get there and before you answer that, I have to say it must be cool to have those spa day experiences where you see a knife coming back and just kind of. Uh, you know, look at it and see. You know, when I sent this out, it was a totally smooth handle. Now there are dings in it from use, and um, and you can see how the blade has changed, and uh, that's got to be kind of cool.
2: It is. It's you can see the you can see the scuff marks, you know, on the blade um, where they put it in a knife block or they put it on a magnetic board. You know, if it's high carbon, you can see all that patina. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the handle may have dulled a little bit. Maybe. You know, sometimes with, with, um, custom knives and, and a lot of times they're given as gifts. Um, some people don't realize the, the, the care, um, that's needed, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's not a lot, but you know, obviously never in the dishwasher. Um, but one recently that I never thought of telling people, um, is don't let it soak in, you know, water, really, especially hot water for yeah. any period of time, right? It's like yeah. they had something, they were doing some dishes, they threw it down the sink and soaked for, you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes, um, bring it back out and it'll kind of pop the grain and the water was really, really hot. And so, um, it did cause a little bit of the handle, um, to, to, to pop off. Um, but they sent it back and I fixed it. Um, right. and I was actually able to salvage that same handle. Um, and, um, I actually given it back to him this week. So hmm. yeah, I, I want to be able to see it. I want to see it a little beat up, right? I don't want to yeah. see, um, you know, where it was abused, um, but um, yeah, I want to see a little bit of use on it when I see it again.
1: So kitchen knife geometry, we all know it's, it's got to be very thin. It, it, it mm-hmm. takes some skill to get there. So tell us about your process and, and what it was like kind of getting to the point where you could do that sort of full flat grind so thin and be successful at kitchen knives.
2: Well, a lot of it came with equipment. Um, when I first um, started making... Uh, kitchen knives. I was still using a you know a two by forty two um, grinder that had, was a one third horsepower and as um, I used to call it the Dremel of grinders because it made up for what it lacked in power by going a million miles an hour, um, and that's not something that you can do a chef knife on very easily because um, it takes you need to be able to slow it down. You'd be able to have a VFD, um, and so some some of the equipment. Um, really helped um, learning to not, um, you know, to use uh, fresh belts all the time. Um, I think it was an expression. I think Jason Knight once said, and if I, it was somebody else, you know, I apologize. But I, I, I think I remember it was Jason Knight said, "Use belts like you own the belt manufacturing company." <laughs> right? right? Um right. And you know, <laughs> easy for him to say because I think he's probably sponsored by somebody, um, but I'm not, so I'm I'm using all of mine, but. You know, using fresh belts and, and really just pushing yourself. Um, you know, thinking, can I get that thinner? Yes. Yes, you can. Um, and I think the first time that I got a knife down to pretty much a zero edge, um, I realized like how much more time and effort that it took and how much patience, um, it took to get there. But ultimately it was going to make for, um, a better knife and, um, you know, up until well, sometime last year, I was trying to take all of my chef knives down to 10,000th of an inch. Hmm. And I talked to um, another um, knife maker. He does folders now, um, but he's been a knife maker for 30 years. And he goes, no, nah. he goes, you can get it down to 5,000. Uh, really? And he's like, yeah. And so he challenged me. And so I, you know, the last, um you know, every knife I've made now for the last uh, three or four months has been, five thousandths instead of ten thousandths. And I gotta admit it was kinda cool to I made one right before Christmas and um for a friend of mine and had him come over. He was giving it to his wife and I was like, Hey check this out and I pulled a stalk of celery out and I just start cutting. And he's like, Okay, great. I was like, I haven't sharpened it yet. Like I'm just slicing yeah. off little thin pieces of celery and he's like, Wait what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's five thousand seven inch like I have not put that sharpening bevel on me. um and it, it, it felt like a knife that was that needed to be sharpened. Right, was a little bit on the dull side, but it was still usable. Yeah. Um, and so then it's okay if now if I can put the edge on it, now it's really going to provide the performance that somebody's looking for.
1: Probably without the edge, it was sharper than ninety-eight percent of the blades in kitchens of America. You know, oh,
2: definitely, and and that includes some. I'm, well, I'm going to say professional kitchens. If you've got a you know a head chef, right? Um, and you've got somebody in there that that can teach, and they're they're resharpening their knives um, on a regular basis. If if you're just in a restaurant with a kitchen and a head cook, and you know somebody that's prepping the food, I've been in some of those kitchens, and those knives aren't very sharp. Um, but yes, I know that they're dull in most kitchens because one of the things I offer for I offer sharpening services for for people locally, um, and I do a lot for folks in my neighborhood, and they'll bring me. You know, they're Wustoffs, they're Jay Hinkles, or, um, you know, they're, they're, they're different knives that they got at, at Bath and Beyond or, or Target or wherever. And I'll resharpen them. And, um, yeah, most of them are extremely dull. Um, and, you know, that just doesn't make for a good cutting experience. And it it doesn't make for a good cooking experience. And, you know, I, I want them to, to take those, go back home and realize, wow, this was, this was phenomenal. Um, and it's, you know, hey, you invest in your knives, even the knives that you were, you know, you might you know buy, um, at like a Williams Sonoma or something, you, you invested something in those knives, spend the time to either learn yeah. how to sharpen or find somebody that can sharpen them.
1: Well, I mean, you know, talking about geometry, uh, and you mentioned Bustoff, I have a, I have a big 10 inch trident that I've had for years and I love that knife. Uh, but ever since I got, uh, my first custom kitchen knife that's real thin and ground real thin, um, when I when I have occasion to use it, it feels like an axe at this point. You know, it's like a much thicker stock, a much more oblique grind, even though it's a pretty broad blade, but there's just not enough room, you know, uh, north to right. south for that to thin out enough. So uh, I, I think oftentimes companies are building them to be super robust. You know, oh, more definitely, than, more than than.
2: Yeah, I I tell folks when when somebody comes up to my table, it's one of my favorite things when somebody comes up and says, "Why should I buy this knife instead of you know going and getting you know a, um, a, a, a even not a shun, but you know maybe something like a, a Wusthof or a Hinkles, right?" Mm-hmm. And I I tell them I was like, "Well, if you think about, I was like, one, if you ever any problems, you can reach out to me. You don't have to call an eight hundred number, okay." Um, two, we can customize for your taste and you don't have that generic black handle. Um, but really what it, you know, I asked them is, is like, have you ever accidentally dropped your chef knife or you threw it in the sink or did something and your tip? bent? And most people go, oh yeah. I was like, and what did you do? Like, well, I took it and I put it back on the cutting board and I kind of bent back. I was like, hardened steel shouldn't bend. That's not the way a chef knife should work. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And so, if you think about it, if it's bending, it's not going to have the properties that it needs to hold an edge very well. Um, and I said, but if you think about the, these companies that are doing that, it's, like I said, you bend it back. I said, but if you did something and the tip of your knife broke off, what would you do? I'm like, well, I'd probably call, you know, Hinkles or Gustav and ask for a replacement, you know, what's under warranty and do something. I was like, right. So, they don't want you to do that. So, they're going to give you one. Um, that, um, you know, it's, it's typically the Rockwell hardness. I haven't tested them myself, but I think the Rockwell hardness on those production grade knives is, is typically a little bit lower, maybe somewhere in like the mid fifties. Um, I try to target 60-61 with mine and I've had mine tested. Um, and, um, you know, so it's, yes, if you drop mine, the tip might break, but that is because of, um, you know, some of that hardness, but, if you've seen some of the videos that I have out on um my Instagram or my Facebook, I have some fillet knives that I can flex pretty significantly.
1: Yeah, you showed um, me uh, at the show, you you demonstrated the So, tell me how you make them. The, the fillet it. knives? No, no, describe um, your process. Oh, just, describe all yeah, just in general.
2: Yeah, so my process typically I do a lot of stock removal um because I work with a lot of stainless and so typically my process is, is I'm going to take a stainless blank. I try to work with a spin of a material that I can get by with, right? To where it's still functional. So for a chef knife, I'm typically doing three thirty 30 seconds inch stock. Um, AEBL or Nitro V is, is typically my go-to. And, um, you know, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll, I'll draw out, I'll come up with something. I've got templates then I'll, I'll make it out of wood first. Not put the bevels on, but just kind of to get the look and the feel and, and grip it and hold it and say, hey, does this work? And that then becomes a template. Um, then I'll take it and I'll put some layout fluid on um, that and and I'll cut it out. So this is a blunt, right? So it's full thickness here, 3.30 seconds. Um, so I'll get this. I'll cut it out on the the, the porta band um, Obviously, I had an accident back in December. If anybody saw on my Instagram, I almost cut the tip of my thumb off. Um, safety with a porta band please. Um, always use push sticks. <laughs> mm. Um, but I got in a hurry, drill my holes, get all of this. Um, and then I actually will take this and, um, you know, wrap it in foil, put it in the, the kiln and I'll heat treat it. And I heat treat at full thickness on all my chef knives. Um, and that, you know, helps minimize some of the warps. And then I'll come back, scribe oh. some lines and then I'll come in and, and grind. And so when I'm grinding, I'm typically grinding you know, the flats to get up this way to help get, you know, that that geometry. But I'm also grinding in a distal taper, right? So if we see this one and we see full thickness, this is the spine going all the way down here. And we compare that to a chef knife and there's some glare there. So it doesn't really want to show, but it definitely gets thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner as we get to the end,
1: right? Yeah, looking down the spine towards the tip.
2: Yep, yep. And so we want that distal taper. Going all the way towards the tip, you don't want a big chunky um, tip, and um, you you want to be able to get your full flat grinds um, pretty hot. Um, so you'll see, you know, I, I see a lot of guys that that make um, camp knives and and, and hunters and EDCs, and they do them. They're phenomenal. They do them really well. But they'll come in and they'll do their grinds will be too low, and they'll come all the way out here and they'll have a real um, too thick of a tip. And that's going to cause a knife that's a little bit, that's going to be too heavy. Um, it's going to have more of that obtuse geometry. And as you go to cut things, um, one of the things that I like to, to, to test on is baby carrots. If you're cutting a baby carrot and you get about halfway through the baby carrot and it snaps, then you know that your geometry is not there, right? You want to be able to slice little pieces off the end of the baby carrot. Um, but yeah, I'll grind that bevel in. Um, I typically do a nice belt finish on mine because it helps with the cleanup later when somebody wants to send it back and clean that up. Um, then slap the handle scales on there, you know, drill the holes, glue it up, shape the handle, um, and then come back and, and sharpen it.
1: So uh, grinding it full width after it's been heat treated, obviously... Uh, that's one of those cases where you have to use a lot of discipline and use all your belts kinda like uh Oh definitely. Uh, Jay yeah. Jay was saying, because it's a lot tougher, right?
2: Yeah, the the materials it, it's hardened at that point, right? Yeah. Um a lot of times, like when I'm making this this camp knife, I actually ground some of these bevels in um ahead of time. Um, get the edge down to the thickness of a dime. Um but it's difficult to do that with a chef knife because especially for stainless, because when I'm treating it I pull it out of the kiln and I actually quench between two aluminum plates and so if it's not full thickness and it does have that bevel in there it's going to have a tendency to want to warp or or, or wiggle and you get that bacon edge right where it's not so much just like a banana warp but you might see this little wiggle in there and now you have to grind that out and you don't have as much room to play with Yeah. Um, and also with that that taper right you you can't put that just a taper in ahead of time so no, you have to use, um, fresh belts. Um, you know, I go with a 36 grit, um, when I start 36 grit, uh, ceramic. And, um, I actually do when I'm, uh, I've gotten comfortable enough with it now. I'll go a hundred percent on my VFD when I'm first starting.
1: Wait, wait, what's um, that mean?
2: That I'm going full speed on that variable speed drive on the okay. grinder. Like it's to hug the
1: material, as they say.
2: Yes. And, and that's the great, um, you got to be careful. Uh, you know, that's a great way to get what we call a knife maker's manicure, or what I call a knife maker's <laughs> manicure, where you uh, lose thumbprints. Um, and you get little, you know, spots on your fingers where you touch a 36 grip belt that's going huh. full speed, but uh, do that to kind of set the angle and, and get it in with a, with a worn belt at first. Um, when, when grinding, because I don't want, if I've got that sharp edge right on this edge. I don't want to take and knock off all the abrasives, right? So I'm Uh, going a worn belt uh, and I'm coming back in with a sharp belt and I'm setting that grind to maybe about right here, right? Just about a quarter inch, you know, um, maybe three quarters of an inch, um, of depending upon the the knife and the, the, the height of the heel. Right. But I'm just kind of setting that somewhere in here, less than an inch all the way out. And then I, um, will then start, um, to take it up higher and higher. and I'll show you here, actually. Let's get sit on my desk. I have a Sharpie marker. Um, which, by the way, for anybody that, um, is, does this on a regular basis, ditch the Sharpies and go to the Milwaukees. Um, I'm not sponsored yet, but, um, would love to be. Um, but these things work so much better on steel where you've got a little bit of grime. Maybe you're, you know, it's, if it's, if it's a little dusty, if it's, it works a lot better than the Sharpies. Huh. But I'll kind of show you on here what I'm trying to grind off, right? So if you think of a normal knife right here, and you think of that plunge line coming up here, when I'm grinding a chef knife, this is that top line, right? So here, that top line, that full flat, that bevel's coming right across here.
1: Oh, I got On you. a chef yeah.
2: knife, it's coming up here, right? So if you think about extending that up all the way out here, what I'm doing is by doing that, I'm actually adding that distal tape. In. Oh, I see. So yes. I'm bringing that grind up here and then all the way out. So I'm spending a lot of time grinding material out here and less time grinding right here.
1: But but you're always doing it as if uh, you're working on it uh, on a larger piece flat. Uh, it's hard to explain, yeah, but I, I get what you mean once you drew that on there. Yeah,
2: yeah. and And you work in sections, right? So I'll work in here. And I'll get that line and then I'll start to you know, and I'll get it up to where I want it. Then I'll start moving it farther and farther out, right? And get it even and then I'll come back. And by the end of it, you've created a flat that's you know, there's not a lot of facets in there. It's it's you can almost do it with your eyes closed. Right? You can just lay it up against the um the belt and and you know exactly where that flat is and then you can drive.
1: Feel. It's your it's so it's, much- it's
2: it's feel, yeah. And and it's it takes I I, I I tell people when, when I'm approaching the grinder, I go in with a pretty loose grip, right? Um, so I've got it. It's in my hands and I can kind of barely set it on the, the belt right here. And then once I get it, once I find the flat, so I've, I've got the edge. I'll uh, see how I can do that. Again. I've got the edge and it's like, okay, I can find the flat, find the, flat. okay, I found the flat, right? Now I can kind of tighten my grip a little bit and work my bevels back and forth. With chef knives, I have a long platen on mine, so I actually also like to work a lot this way, mm. right? Because more of the knife is in contact with the platen at that time. So it's it's easier to kind of maintain that flat. That
1: that, that uh, really uh, explains well uh, how you get that distal taper with, with a grinder. Like, I sort of understand it if you're pounding it out uh, with a, you know, if you're forging a blade, it's sort of intuitively... Yeah, if you're forging organic. it,
2: it's totally... Totally different. Like here's yeah. one that you know I I forged out, right? Um Ooh, and this is a cool when I really do this cool. one of the collaboration with um um uh, sugar uh, sugarfield uh distillery in uh, Louisiana. Oh thanks. this is a piece of their um oak barrel, right? Uh one of their whiskey barrels. And so that uh, we had stabilized. But yeah, I'm hammering it out and I'm hammering that, you know, as it gets thinner and thinner and thinner out towards the tip, I hammer that in, right? But you're not doing that on um, stainless. And so, you know, one of the things that I do is I come in, I scribe a center line here, and then I'll scribe a center line on the spine. And then, like I said, I'll knock the edges off. And then sometimes I'll even knock the top off. This is something I learned from Don Wynn on his video. I'll knock the top off. So I'll, I'll kind of take full thickness here out to about the midway point in the tip. And so then that'll create almost like a false edge. Right, like a swedge, oh, yeah. and a secondary bevel on the top. So now I've created a bevel on the top, created a bevel on the bottom. Um, those go to you know my center line, and after that, it's it's like going back to kindergarten and just coloring between the lines, right? I've created the lines. I think I heard this one from Salem Straub. Um Again, if I get the quote wrong, I apologize. But it's my grinder is the crayon, my grinder is the marker. And I'm, I'm coloring between the lines. When I heard that, it's like this light bulb went off in my head. Made me so much better at grinding. Um, it's so simple, but it's like, okay. Yeah. That's the line. You know, this is the line I'm following. This is the line on the edge. Use the grinder to remove the material in between.
1: All right. So this is interesting to me because obviously you get better at grinding through. The physical practice, the practical practice. Yeah, absolutely. Of, uh, yes. Uh, but, but it's interesting how, um, uh, you know, hearing a phrase could also translate into better grinding. What's your mindset like when you're making a knife versus when you're doing, um, you have another uh, job, right? This is not your full time profession at the moment. Correct. Yes. So, so what, what's the mindset, uh, difference like between those two
2: worlds. It's, it's different and it's the same. Um, so for my, for my day job, I, um, I work for JetBlue Airways and I'm the manager of business intelligence. So I work in data and analytics. So very analytical thinking. Um, and my team is responsible for, um, the educating, um, our users in the analytics products that we use and growing that community. So it's a lot of working with other people. Um, you know, uh, building their proficiency, growing that community. The knife can, there's similarities in the knife community as well, and that you know what I hope by doing this, and anybody can reach out to me with questions. Is I want to grow the proficiency of the knife community, right? And I want to grow the knife community. I want to sharing ideas, but when I'm going in and I'm 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 grinding, it's it is kind of heads down. You know, um, trying to focus. I, I do have ADHD. So, you know, one of the superpowers of those of us with ADHD, if you can harness it is hyper focus. And so it's get music that puts you in the right mood and hyper focus and just focus on, you know, that, that grinding and try to eliminate, um, the distractions. And I try to do it. I try to do each knife, at least get those bevels in one session. Right. Um, so I try not to stop and then come back to it. I want to stay in that mindset um, because you really have to be, you have to think about your posture. You got to think about your your form. You, you got to, you know, it, it, all that kind of becomes second nature um, after a while. But you, you want to be like, okay, I'm in the mindset now of grinding, right? I'm not trying to do anything else. I'm not grinding here for a little bit, going over and doing something else. It's, hmm. I'm going to grind the bevels on this knife and I'm going to get them. And sometimes I'll do half a dozen at a time.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. Is this uh, when you? Uh, how do you batch them? Are they small batches? And and when you're doing them, are you uh, doing all? Of, uh, presumably you would. I mean, it'd be foolish kind of not to. But you're doing all the handles at the same time, all the bevels at the same time, all yes. the sharpening.
2: Yes. Yeah. It's. Um, I have some limitations. Um, like when it comes to the heat treat, I can only really do about six at a time because I only have two sets of quench plates. Um, so when I'm doing heat treat, when I'm doing bevels, I'll do six, right? And then I may get those knives and I may go back and do heat treat and bevels. Um, this last set of... Um, I probably shaped and formed 12 to 14 handles in 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 a batch, right? Because um, it's... It, again, with the handles, it's kind of going through this repetition and this mindset. And what I found was I became much more efficient and cut down on my production time significantly um by doing batches. Right. Um if if I have to do a knife from end to end, start to finish and don't stop and, and work on any other knife, um I wouldn't make very many knives. Um but I, I yeah I try to do them in, in groups of uh four to six.
1: So uh, before we started rolling, I requested uh, you grab a couple of blades. Let let's take a look at those. Uh, these, yeah, uh, at the at the knife show, these really caught my eye, and I and I swear I had seen them somewhere. Like, uh, but I didn't. I, I guess I hadn't. I asked if they were on the cover of Blade magazine. You are like, no. And they, they look no. like they should be. The way you had it set up there, it was it was really cool.
2: Yeah, I've, I've never made it into a magazine. I've had professional photos taken, um, and I, I haven't made it in. in yeah. Uh, okay, that's fine. Um, but um, I am going to Blade Show, Texas here in a couple of weeks. That'll be my first uh, Blade Show. Um, but, yeah, I've got a couple um, here I can um, – let's see. So this one is a favorite of mine. Um, this is a – I love Nekiris. I use a push stroke. um when, when using knives, and it's something that I, I ask a lot of customers when they're trying to, you know, determine what type of knife, which, which knife should I get? Um, I ask them, you know, how do you grip it? Are you using a pinch grip? Are you, you know, holding it back here, maybe with your thumb on the spine? Do you use a lot of rocking motion or do you use a lot of push motion? Um, <clears throat> and so I can kind of put them in a knife that, that fits them, right? If they're using a pinch grip. They can go by with a little bit longer knife because they're closer to the tip. Um, but this is, uh, uh, it's, um, some high polished Damascus. I don't normally do high polished Damascus. Most of the time, my, if I'm doing Damascus, it's, it's a, a darker you know, uh, contrast. contrast. Beautiful. Um, this one, won. uh, so the, the show that, that we were at that, uh, you know, Texas, uh, custom knife show, um, this one best kitchen knife in 2022. Yeah. Nice. Somehow I still have it. I cannot believe that no, people pick it up. Um, funny story on this one is, is, um, I showed it, uh, I was talking to Doug Markita, you know, and he was there and, and he had told me, he's like, Oh yeah, I voted for that. Man. And, um, he said Jay Nielsen had picked it up and, and, and Jay made a comment about the handle's too skinny. And, and Doug's like, well, it's a chef knife, Jay. You're not supposed to hold it like this. It's not a chopper. He's like, yeah. it, it's here. Right. And, and this thing is so light and, and, and balanced really well. Um, but that's what I would typically do um on Damascus. This is um Alabama Damascus. And um this one's also Alabama Damascus, but it's I, I polished it out. Um same pattern, raindrop. And this one I, I did a wa handle. And so this one has some um horn beam, um, some true stone, and then this was um a piece of Koa. I absolutely mm. love Koa. Um and this one, um, best uh culinary knife uh, best kitchen knife at the lost pine show in bastrop um earlier back in what was that september um so i, I really love this one i don't do a lot of wah handles um but i, I really do um enjoy them uh, those are
1: octagonal right octagonal yeah the
2: o- the octagonal you know handle um right. the the traditional japanese um you know style handle they're a little longer than what you'd see in a western knife um but this one was, was much more traditional. I did another, um, wah handle, and I think this was the one you were referencing earlier when you were talking about how, um,
1: light it how was. Light it
2: was. Yeah. Um, this is uh, stainless Damascus from Dama Works, and I wanted to do something that I'd never seen before. I don't know if it's, it's kind of difficult to see, but that is hand engraving, um, by another knife maker here, um, locally to me in Tomball. His name's Phil Dunn. He does a lot of, uh, folders and he hand engraved that. And I wanted to do something that was kind of a mix between traditional Japanese, but also maybe some more like, um, Western style. And, and there's like a Southwest influence in here with yeah. some turquoise true stone and some, um, engraving. And then, you know, most of the time when I'm doing, um, one of these, I'll also, you know, make a, a saya for it. So a nice tight friction fit, side, um, with similar material. Um, but yeah, these were, um, these are some that, I like I said, I really enjoy doing, but um, I don't do them super often. Um, some of the other things, this would be more of just my standard um, chef knife, um, again, Beautiful. with Koa. Um, and so this is something, um, like I said, I, I like more of an aggressive, um, you know, point. Some people look at it and think the point's too low, but it actually works um, where it is, you know, on the handle. On a Western style knife, uh, the tip is typically on the center of the handle or, or towards the top. Um, and so this one works really well with a pinch grip, um, or with a traditional grip. Um, and, um, yeah, I try to round off all of my spines right here. That was feedback I got from a chef one time, um, so that it doesn't create a hot spot. Um, but yeah, it's, um, but I like to do, you know, some fun stuff too. This is one that I just finished this week. I haven't posted it yet. But we'll get a preview here. This is uh, a new design for me. It's a very aggressive tip. Um, this is much more for a push cut style um, than you would a, a rock. It's got a little bit of rock to it, um, but it also has um, the handle kicks up a little bit. So you get a little more knuckle clearance. Um, and this is Juma again with some dank blanks uh, resin. So I call this some fire and ice. Um, That's but that's really yeah. This one's this, like I said, this one works really well for me because I like to do a push cut.
1: Yeah, that blade profile is really cool. It's, it's pretty unique. It looks, it almost reminds me of one of those, uh, almost like an Afghan short sword, uh, one of
2: those, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's really cool. It's the same profile that I was showing earlier with this one. Um, yeah. and then I have a, um, I'll get your opinion on this. I've got a, um, another version of it, um, with Damascus and I was thinking about doing like a swedge on it, um, like a harpoon clip just ah. because why not? Yes. Right? Yes,
1: Yes, I like that. And and I I, uh I actually don't like harpoons often. Um harpoons gotta be done right. That I like. That's like a swedge on a buoy almost. Um Yeah, definitely. I I like that. Um yeah, we'll we'll see about that. And you could actually use that uh you know, swedge uh if it were a thicker steel you could, you could zero grind that and have it be a little bone breaker, you know, on the back of the blade. But you
2: could, you, that, you could. That might be a little gimmicky. At, you could even use it at, you know, as a scoop as you're cutting some vegetables. You just kind of scoop it up. Or, yeah. you know, I'm working with a, um, um, a local woodworker here to custom design me a, um, my own cutting board based on my specs. And one of the things is, is it's going to have, um, like a juice groove. Mm-hmm. almost all the way around. There's going to be about six inches or so in the front middle where there isn't. Um, And right underneath where that is, because I want it to be flush all the way to the edge. And right underneath where that is, it will slide out a little plate made of the same wood. So as you chop your vegetables, you don't have to scoop them on uh-huh. your knife. That's cool, yeah. You can just scoop them onto the little plate and it slides right off the cutting board. Take that over, dump it in the pan, and then move on.
1: I love um, it. We'll, that's we'll cool. See. Yeah.
2: I'm sure to post that one on Instagram once I get it. He's, he's working on it
1: now. going to say, you better patent that sucker right quick. <laughs> uh, show us the, the Batman and Joker knives. These,
2: uh, yeah, these
1: are, uh, these are ones that really uh, caught my eye
2: first time. Yeah. Like, like I mentioned, I, uh, I'll start with Batman. Um, I, I've always liked comic books. I like comic book movies. So I'm, you know, kind of a sucker for that. And, um, I like to do themes on knives. And so I, was able to get a Batman pin. Um, but I went with some, uh, um, Buckeye here and it's got, you know, yellow liners down the, the spine, the yellow pin. And I had it lasered in where it said, I am vengeance. <laughs> right. Um, and so this was, it's last it's, thing it's the cucumber bear. sees before you go to town on it. That's right. And so what's a Batman knife without a Joker knife? And so this top one is my 8-inch chef knife. The bottom one is my 6-inch petty knife. It's kind of hard to see. There's some great photos out on my Instagram, but there is a little tiny joker face Yeah, on.
1: yeah. And I actually
2: see. had this one designed um, specifically uh, for – it was for another project I was working on. I, I made a knife uh, that I donated for um, that drop show, and they had given me the materials, and they gave me purple and green. And I actually love purple and green as a color combo like that. Yeah. One here. I think it's a great color combo. Um, and so when I see purple and green, my first thought is, you know, Joker or Incredible Hulk. And so I saw that and I went, I gotta have a Joker knife. And so I had a pen made up, but the Joker says, why so serious?
1: So wait, what you said that little, to your, you said that to your six inch what knife? Six inch petty knife. Petty. What is so that? Mean?
2: So a petty is, is more of a, um, I think kind of it like a large, uh, utility knife or, you know, a little bit bigger than say, so like here would be a pairing knife, mm-hmm. right? Like a four inch pairing knife, six inch. So you might do those in a three piece set, right? I think of pairing knives as I'm working off the table, right? I'm peeling something. I'm doing something like yeah. that. Um, what I tell folks is that the six inch petty knife, you know, if, if you haven't, if you don't know, like, what it is that, that, that you're you know, wanting for a knife, I said, you know, start with a six inch petty knife because that can be your go-to knife, um, in the kitchen. And it is for me. If I'm, you know, um, want to cut up an avocado, it's got the right size. I can work it off the table, cut all the way around. I can use this with a little force, get that nut that's in there, twist it out. Um, if I'm, um, making a, a salad for, for just myself or my wife and I, or if I'm doing something, Or it's just, you know, something for the two of us. I'm cutting something up. This is absolutely perfect. This is all I need. Um, if you're somebody that grips this way, right? Instead of a pinch grip, this is going to be a better knife for you because by gripping it back here, you've moved your hand away from the tip. So that's why when I ask a lot of people, what's your favorite knife in your set? They're like, Oh, it's the Santoku or it's the little mini chef knife. So think of this as like a little mini chef knife. Yeah. Um, and that, whereas, you know, that, that eight inch, I, I say that the eight inch chef knife is I'm preparing a meal for a family. Mm-hmm. Right. I've got my whole family over. I got some friends coming over. I'm going to prepare a meal or I use a pinch grip and I'm very comfortable with it because when you get the closer you can get your hand to the tip, the more control you're going to have over that tip for doing something like, um, you know, when you're, when you're slicing onions and, and dicing onions and you've got to get in there and do, you know, a couple little cuts before you then come in sideways and then start slicing them up.
1: Uh, you can um, uh, I I well not you can I I think I can see myself getting a petty knife. Uh, I have plenty of ten inch and eight inch chefs knives, um, and my wife likes a little bit of a smaller knife, but um, uh, I could see that six inch being perfect. Uh, like you said, yeah, hmm. <laughs>
2: huh. it, it, yeah, it's, it's a it's it's the um it's it's like I said it's the go it's my go to knife in the kitchen.
1: But but uh, okay. Uh, but pinpointing it, like, when I see that six-inch utility knife in a kitchen knife, it's never anything that has any knuckle clearance. It's just like an extra right. long. It's a low. It's kind of useless right.
2: almost. Yeah. it's um, That one, you know, might work for, you know, not even really slicing, like, maybe cutting a sandwich in half. I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, that, that little utility knife. Um, but, yeah, this has got a little bit of that clearance. Um, so, I, yeah, I absolutely love these little six-inch. Um, and they they sell pretty well. So that or I tell folks to go with a Santoku, which is a seven inch, so it's kind of like an in between.
1: And that's that one with the gentle belly and the drop
2: point, yeah. Yeah, it's it's got a little bit of curve, the point's lower. Um this is one that you could use with a push cut or a rock. Um and um, it's kind of you know, the, the the best of a couple of different worlds, right? If you're only going to get one knife, the Santoku or the Petty you know, typically might be where you start and then move into um, a chef knife and then maybe a paring knife. And that, then you start getting into your specialty knives, like you're in your Nakiris, because you like to do a push cut, um, you know, serrated bread knives, um, a fillet knife, a boning knife. Um, you know, that all depends upon what you prep and what you eat. If you eat a lot of fish, you eat a lot of chicken, you're filleting chicken breast, fillet knife works great for that. Yeah. If you do a lot of barbecue, you might want, you know, a, a bigger um, slicer or carving knife um, to cut that up.
1: Well, okay. So, what uh, what knives do you want to see yourself making in the future? What how how do you want to see your making as a maker, as a craftsman,
2: evolve? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I try to think about that at the beginning of every year, and I try to set myself a couple of goals. Um, and one of the ones that I had for this year was to. Um, do serrations. And so in 2023, I, I made probably half a dozen knives and a filet knife. Um, I made, um, filet knives and I got that heat treat down where I could, um, trust it and, and really flex it and learned how to control the grind to get the flex in the right place. Um, and then I also did some serrated, um, bread knives or sandwich knives. And so that was my goal for last year. Um, one of the things that I also had on the list that I only really attempted once um, was to do what's called an S-grind. And so if you think of an S-grind, it's it's a compound grind on a knife, a chef knife that's got a tall heel, um, and it's really meant for food release. And so if you think of like a normal chef knife, full flat all the way up, the S-grind is going to go up maybe about three quarters of an inch, and then it's going to hollow. With a, I mean, we're talking a big like, you know, you're not using like a contact wheel, like you're, you have a rate, you know, a radius platen, and so it's the equivalent of grinding on like say a seventy-two inch wheel. Oh
1: wow, okay. right?
2: Yeah, and so it gets this subtle hollow, so it goes up and then in up to the spine. So you think about it, it's kind of like an S, right? And so it so that, that's something okay. cool. Yeah, it, it gives a little bit of a gap, right, for some of that food to kind of come off. Um, It can also lighten the blade even further. Um, so you may be able to work with a little bit thicker material when you're getting that taller heel. And it, it takes off some of that weight um, and, and really um, does that. So like I said, I made one that was in the Kiri. Um, I also messed up a couple of others that uh, ended up in my oops pile. All good knife makers should have an oops pile and they should also revisit it once a year because you learn more and more about you know your craft and somebody had told me once before that the, what separates a um, a good knife maker from a great knife maker right or a master knife maker um but one of the things is is as you get better you learn how to fix your mistakes um you could say hide mistakes like cosmetically like obviously you can't hide a functional mistake um, but you you learn how to fix mistakes more than anything. So maybe you have one that has a little bit of a warp in it or something. You can come back and um, you know learn learn how to fix that, right? And so go to your oops pile ever so often. Find one, um, practice on it, use it. You know, um, grind it thinner, grind it thinner than you ever thought you could. And you know what? If you mess it up, it was it was trash anyway. Yeah, and maybe it'll come out of the oops pile. Might come out of the oops pile. Would make a great gift for somebody. Yeah. I've had some that I've salvaged from the oops pile, but then I was able to fix well enough to where I felt comfortable selling it. It's like,
1: I'm good, good enough now to grind away the suck and, there, and release the great blade within.
2: Yes. I, I wasn't in the right mindset there or had the right skills, but I do now. Yeah. Uh,
1: as we wrap here, Chris, uh, tell us what your goals are for Steel Dog Knives as a company uh, moving forward.
2: Yeah, I tell people that, um, I'm, I'm training myself for my retirement job. Um, I've got one kid in college right now, um, who's, um, studying to go into hotel restaurant management. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I've got, um, another in high school who's thinking about going into, um, nutritional science. Mm-hmm. So when we think about, you know, both of them, here we are around food, right? Coming together as families. And so it's, it's really cool. My, my daughter in high school is taking a culinary class next year. I don't think they'll let her bring her own custom knife, but she does yeah. have a couple. Um, but no, what am I, what do I think about? Like I want to continue to get better and continue to improve, learn new things, push myself to where at some point when I decide that, you know, I've had enough of, uh, you know, my, my regular day job, you know, I'm at a point, my kids are out of college. You know, and it's time to retire. I have something that will keep me busy, something that will keep me passionate, something that allows me a creative outlet, um, and keeps me occupied, but keeps me tied in with this wonderful knife making community. Um, I absolutely love it. I've made friends in this knife making community that I see as as, as brothers and sisters, and now and you know I, I know that we'll be friends uh, for the rest of our lives. Right. Um, And so it, 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 that means a lot to me. So I want to stay connected in that, but I don't see like going full time. Um, And um, I, like I said, I I think um, I I like my day job too. So um, I want to kind of balance both. And then at some point, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do these and I'll, I'll make, you know, however much I need to make sure that I'm, I'm happy. Right.
1: Well, that's a, that's a, good second bit of advice, your first being, uh, you know, go back to your oops pile. That uh, That's a scalable advice that you could give to anyone, not just knife makers. Uh, go back to your old work, check it out, see how you've improved and see what you can do better. But also, like, uh, ha- aiming for that retirement. But not just thinking, oh, I think I might do this, I might do that, but have it humming along. By the time you get there, it's well underway and you already have something thriving. Chris Jones, Steel Dog Knives, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Knife Junkie podcast. It's been great uh, catching up with you after meeting you uh, down in Texas.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Uh, My pleasure. Take care, sir. Mm
0: -hmm. The Shockwave Tactical Torch is your ultimate self-defense companion, featuring a powerful LED bulb that lasts 100,000 hours, a super sharp crenulated bezel, and built-in stun gun delivering 4.5 million volts. Don't settle for ordinary. Choose the Shockwave Tactical Torch, the slash shockwave.
1: There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Jones of Steel Dog Knives. I uh, forgot to mention before, you can catch up with him on his website, but also check out his Instagram. Beautiful pictures. And uh, I do believe that's the best way to reach out uh, to him to get your hands and get your, get your mitts on one of his beautiful knives. All right, for Jim working his magic behind the switcher, I'm Bob DeMarco saying, until next time. Don't take dull
0: for an answer. Thanks for listening to the Knife Junkie Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review at ReviewThePodcast.com.